What did you have for breakfast today? Today I had bacon. <laughs> Just straight up bacon. Just straight bacon. I love that. Seriously, I, that's, uh, I, I didn't really have breakfast uh, because I had a bunch of stuff that I was doing. And my son, he brought up some bacon for me. So that was technically my breakfast. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm a father, son, brother, friend, and storyteller. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is a podcast of interviews with people from all walks of life to learn how they broke free from their scripted lives to start writing their own script. We're digging into their roller coaster journeys to learn the skills and techniques they use to live life intentionally. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today I'm joined by Gary Ware, who is a son, father, husband. He's an improv comedian and founder of Breakthrough Play, which is a company that helps professionals level up with creativity, happiness, and confidence all by using play, which I... So when I saw this, I think you had posted something on LinkedIn about um, how you were known as like the play guy. And I started looking into what you you do and I'm like... This is amazing. Awesome. <laughs> and yeah, and totally randomly, then I'm then I'm looking you up on Facebook and you know Sydney Williams who What? <laughs> how do you know Sydney? <laughs> well, that was my question. I was like, how does he know Sydney? So, okay, so I actually Sydney was actually the third guest I had on the podcast. I've known Sydney for over a decade now, we connected on Twitter way back when Twitter just got started. She was in Chicago. Yeah. And we kind of ran in the same circles. Okay. Yeah. And so I I messaged her the other day and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing Gary Ware soon and I'm, I'm doing some research and I you saw your Facebook friends. Do you know Gary? And she's like, well, yeah, he was my improv instructor. Yep. That's me. <laughs> that, that's how I do it. What a small world. So... Are you still an improv instructor? I mean, you still do the improv too? If so, the um, I do improv. The theater is closed uh, that I perform at. I don't own a theater. Um, I do improv at a theater called Finest City Improv um, in San Diego. And because I started my journey taking an improv class, and for yeah. me, um, you know, I teach people about the different play personalities. And so for me, my play personality, you know, is, is all about, you know, theater and storytelling and, and, and being silly. So I naturally gravitated to that. And I took every improv class I could and wanted to perform. And I performed. Um, and then this theater opened up. And then I performed there and became a teacher there. And that's where Sydney and I met. So what a small but, world. Yeah. But with all the stuff that's going on with, um, quarantine and and stay at home we're not like the theater is is closed um sure you know, so there's no classes currently uh so i am not teaching in person but i do some you know virtual stuff so uh it, it's not the same but i am still you know still teaching so yeah you mentioned what play personality you were and you, you mentioned the play personalities what is a play personality i'm not familiar yeah so there is a a gentleman his name is dr Stuart brown he wrote this book uh called play and how it shapes our world and shapes our mind and that so taking a step back when i took an improv class i thought improv was the answer um everyone needed to do improv and then i started i was the improv pusher i was like you need to take an improv class you need to do x y and z and then uh some people were scared about it and then i was like well maybe it's not just improv what about improv did i like and it was the fact that we were connecting it was the fact that we were playing and then um <laughs> so then i did that and i was like all right cool all right play Maybe that's the answer. Then I started studying anything and everything that I could on play, the power of play. And um, that book is like the book, like Dr. Stuart Brown wrote the book on play and how he came about that was an accident as well. He's, you know, a researcher um, and he was studying uh, serial killers 
And he found a correlation between all of these uh, mass murderers, serial killers, um, and how they did not have play growing up. It was oh, very, wow. very like shocking. And he, and then he started exploring that play is something that um, shapes all of us. And so he wrote this book. And in this book, he he talks about people need to take a play history. So he asked people to think about how were you playing when you were younger. Um, you know, under 13, you know, um, what were you doing? What were the activities? And they probably fit in one of these seven uh, play personalities. And so it's the joker, you know, that's the practical joker, the person that likes to play pranks, um, the competitive uh, person. So that is what a lot of people think of it when they think about play. Um, this person is very competitive uh, with themselves and with others. Um, they probably like to play competitive sports. You know, they compete with themselves in the, you know, in anything and everything that they do. Sure. We could all think of those types of people. Um, and it's interesting right there. That's why a lot of people don't really think that they can play or, or, or whatnot because they don't align with that. Um, and so he goes a little bit deeper and then there's the kinesthetic, the kinesthetic person loves movement and they may do like, you know, um, athletic play, but for them, it's all about the movement, not about the competing. Uh, then we have the collector, um, someone whose play personality is the collector. They like to collect experiences. Maybe they like to collect baseball cards or they like to travel and collect stamps in their passport. Um, you know, for them, collecting is playing. Um, and you know, then there's the explorer, the explorer is slightly different, but they like to like explore their, uh, physical world, their mental world. They're just exploring. Um, you know, then we like, then we have the director, the director is the person that likes to orchestrate things, put things together. Um, Oh, that's my son. <laughs> As you're describing these, I'm trying to figure out where my son and daughter fit. Yeah, in. yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, then we have the the uh, the storyteller. You know, for them, they like to get lost in stories, whether it's books or you know improv or anything like that. Uh, then we have um, storyteller. Uh, what's the other ones? Um, uh, the connector. Someone who, for play for them is connecting people. You know, they liked, you know, they don't necessarily want to be center of attention, but they love connecting people. So those, if you think about it, um, you know, there might be one or a few that sort of resonates with you. And that is like, um, I like to say your compass of joy, you know, that can help you like get more joy. And so Dr. Stuart Brown says, if you can bring something that you were doing when you were younger back in just a small subset, like just a little bit, it's going to bring you an immense amount of joy. Um, because there's a lot of studies that show that, um, right before, uh, puberty, whatever you were doing, your brain is, is saying, all right, I should hold on to this because this is important. And then when puberty happened and it started shedding the brain cells of things that you didn't need, uh, need anymore, um, it held on to that and it's still there. And if you bring it back, it, there's the part of you that's going to be like, oh, wow, this is great. And so for me, it was improv because I was, um, I wasn't doing theater, but I was, um, into music. So I, I played uh, a musical instrument since I was, uh, in fifth grade. Uh, that's when I picked up the clarinet. Um, and I played it through high school and, um, I was in a few bands post high school, but you know, just, you know, because of time and stuff like that just sort of fell out. And so that whole creation and performing and stuff like that, like was just still part of me. And when I got into improv, it was just like, this is, I'm home. So, so for me, um, more than just the thing that I learned in improv was beneficial, but the act of me actually performing and doing that on stage was like, it was became a passion of mine. So that's a long winded way of telling you about my, my journey and um, of starting to discover play and what the play personalities are. That's amazing. I love those play personalities. I got to check out that book. It's funny. You mentioned like that you fell in, like you felt you were home at home and improv when I when I was thinking about all this and, and and looking at your story and just you know looking at improv and, and your work with play, I thought I love improv so much. I love like going. Uh, I'm here in Chicago, so a great improv city, great theater city, second city improv Olympic. Yeah, tons of amazing work to go watch all the time. I love watching it all. But I remember in high school, I think it was like freshman year, we had an improv club and I did it for a semester, maybe two. That was it. 
I haven't done anything since. And I remember, I still remember this day. I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And I wrote here in my notes, I wrote, I want to take an improv class after COVID. I feel like you have inspired me just learning about you. I As soon as we get out of all this and, and we're back up and running, I'm going to do it. And I'm curious. I feel like I'm going to be at home, but I don't know. What made you feel so at home when you took that improv class? Yeah. And so... uh I feel like everyone should take an improv class because you're going to learn some amazing skills. Some people, you may want to take it a little bit further and explore the actual performing on stage. But the thing that made me feel so at home is, and I talk about this in uh, my TEDx talk about like how play saved my life. Uh, because when I took the my first class, I was a director for this large uh, digital marketing agency. And I felt like I was burnt out all the time. I felt like I was in over my head. I was one of the youngest directors. Um, and I had a large staff of, of people that reported to me and I was working all the time because at that time, my, my sort of worth was tied into my output. And so I felt like, Oh, I, I need to just keep, you know, keep working. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get better at public speaking because I found myself having to speak in front of clients and present data and all this other stuff. And I hated Toastmasters. It just like, I got a lot of anxiety going to Toastmasters and I feel like it was because of the judging, like, uh Oh, am I doing this right? They're counting my ums. They're doing all these things. And I just, it just didn't work for me. And a mentor said, you should take an improv class. And I was like, what improv class? I, again, it didn't even cross my mind as something I didn't do improv in high school never done improv but i i did it i took the improv class and i went into that theater and there were 15 other people just like me and for 2 hours we played we did these so when you take an improv class as you know you probably know from doing improv club you play these games that are going to help you be able to think so on much your feet fun. and yeah. and and tell stories like in front of an audience but it's silly um, you know, we have these improv principles and I'm happy to talk about some of them, but like it created this psychological safety where I felt safe being silly. I felt safe, um, making mistakes. I felt safe just being my true authentic self. And a few things happened there that I didn't realize until like five years later when I started studying this is that I gave my brain a break, you know, our brain's a muscle. And just like any muscle, you need to rest it. And I wasn't resting it. Uh, I felt like I was always on or needed to be always on. And so that li little rest was like what my brain needed. Uh, in the book, Dr. Stuart Brown, he talks about how a lot of us are probably suffering from play deprivation. I think we are. I would agree with that. And so I was essentially playing. I was connecting with other people. Um, I... I was experiencing what I call the dose uh, and dose is an acronym DOSE, which is dopamine, um, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, you know? And so those are the things that make us feel like we belong, uh, that we can trust other people, um, that we're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, we're being productive and it was just amazing. It was an amazing experience. And then I was excited to go back the next week. And I had something to look forward to. And it was, I took that first class and it was like life changing. I tell people, just take a level one improv class. And now as a teacher, I love teaching the early levels of, of improv because I love seeing people's faces like when they like have that amount of like immense amount of joy. And it's interesting. We're making mistakes. They suck at this. Like, but they don't care. <laughs> They're open to the <laughs> mistakes and it pushes them to want to work harder because you have these people that are celebrating your mistakes. Where else are you going to get people that are going to come up to you? You made a mistake. You like butcher something. They're like, Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Keep going, do it again. Um, and I, the people that I met in my first levels of doing improv, I'm still very good friends with. You're so right that like that environment, like what more, accommodating friendly just warm environment is there than probably improv where i mean because the whole concept from my understanding of improv i mean at its core is yes and like we, yes. we're going to keep going we're going to build so even if you fail we're going to build on that and we're going to mm -hmm. create something out of that and we're going to keep going and like yeah where else do you i mean that's such a i i just that's so core to me too i love that like 
iteration to me is so core. Yes. Like you, you, as long as you're, it's okay if you fail, but as long as you're tweaking something and trying something new and continuing to improve. And like, that's to me what improv is. I love that. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The, the whole concept of yes. And, uh, and there, you know, a few others like make your partner look amazing. Um, which is such know. a great concept too. You think about like right. how many other pieces or how many other places in our life are we thinking, I want to build that person up. I want to build yeah, up. The, right. I mean, I hope we are, but I mean, you know, I mean, think about the other environments we're in, especially as adults. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. And so like after I started learning some of these principles and playing these games, I immediately, uh, well, I started seeing my own progression, you know, weekly, you know, I started listening better. Um, I started, you know, being able to come up with ideas, you know, quickly, you know, on the spot. Nothing changed, though. It was the same environment. Did you see see all this outside of class? Like, did you notice yourself becoming a more active listener? Out, I mean, just in other parts of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this belief: how you do anything, how you do everything. And so, improv was the sandbox. We were just playing with some amazing life skills in a way that I didn't realize it. Like it was like a Trojan horse. Like we were playing the game. Like I went for the, in, the pure enjoyment of having something to do for two hours on a Monday night. That was so much fun with some amazing people. That's what I was going for. Little did I know that I was becoming a better listener, a better active listener. Um, I was becoming even more empathetic um, I was able to collaborate better. Not that I wasn't doing these things already, but I started seeing these things. I was like, wow. And so as a leader and wanting to engage my team, I didn't want to just like, all right, now I'm going to lecture you on the five dysfunctions of a team. And we're going to talk about all these things. I was like, I think I can better illustrate that with this improv game. And on Fridays, I would bring these improv games in and we would play them. Like, we just play, you know, one word at a time story. And then we would talk about it. It's like, all right, cool. What, how can we do this better? Like, how can we be a better listener? How can we support each other? What was that like when, you know, someone made a mistake, but we adapted that mistake? How did that feel? Like, you know, we just were talking about these things and my team, again, got better as well. And so then I'm like, there's something. That's why I thought like everyone needed it in. (laughs) needed to take improv and it's true (laughs) you saw the effect of it i saw the effect and and it's one of these things where as i learned about the power of play play is just a simulation it's like your brain is allowing you to suspend belief of what's going on for the rules of the game i love and it's like the the hero's journey in that like you're you willingly give up your beliefs and and whatever for the rules of the game. That's like how games work. Like, all right, we're going to play this game. Like if you think about like golf, golf, the rules of golf is you're going to take a tiny ball and you're going to take a stick and you want to see if you can get the ball to go into a hole that is way far away. Like that is not the most effective way of doing it, but yet we agree to these rules yeah, and there might be some sand in the way too. <laughs> right? And there's obstacles. There's all these things that are going to get in the way yeah. and impede your progress. But yet we agree to these rules. We step into the play zone. We agree to these rules and we just, we do it, you know. It, oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, you think the same thing about like baseball. Like you <laughs> think about like you're suspending. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I never thought of it that way. And that's the power of this is that our brains are so malleable is that, and this is why you can have such a deep belonging, a deep connection, is that you are having, like, um, all of these happy chemicals are happening, and your brain um, is recording all of this, and your brain is starting to say, I feel good. Oh, I'm playing with Tim. I must like Tim, because I'm I'm feeling good. Tim is doing, Tim's helping me out. We must be friends cool, Tim, we're friends. Like your brain just like doing that automatically. Yeah. Uh, and it's just making these associations. And then before you know it, you, your identity is shifting because you're like, you know what? I'm the type of person on stage that listens and help collaborate. Well, that must, I must be someone who collaborates well. 
and then another scenario shows up like that and then you're just going to like your identity like that's the whole point of our identity we're going to do the things that are going to support the identity identity that we have for ourselves so over the course of eight weeks i slowly practice important skills that help me with my my job and then i just like it seemed magical. Like I magically was just better at my job, <laughs> but <laughs> little did I know I was doing that. But if you think about it, like you have a child, uh, how old is your child? Um, my son is nine and my daughter's five. Okay. So you, you've been along the journey, everything that kids have done, like, especially in their, like the first, like 10 years of their life is through play. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like having children or being around children, but definitely having children. I mean, you see that that's what really drew me to when I saw that you were working with play. I'm like, I mean, you can see that with your kids. I mean, they are, and especially like you said, as they're getting older, like my son now, he's definitely that director type. Um, and my daughter is, I think probably the mover. I mean, she, you mentioned maybe not as competitive. She, she's very kinetic. She has to be, I mean, she's a gymnast basically. I mean, she's not in gymnastics now due to, you know, COVID, but but I think she's got a little bit of a competitive side, at least against herself. But yeah, I mean, I, I I see that. And I think, you know, not where did I go wrong or my regrets, but like, I mean, obviously I'm not playing as much as they are or as much as I was at their age or even as much as I was when I was, you know, five years older than they are. And I think, why not? Like, because everything you're describing here, yeah, why not? Why are we not playing, Gary? <laughs> well, that is that is one of the things where it's it's more of conditioning, where we are conditioned that play is something that you do after you get the work done, or play is you know you often hear people stop playing around, stop you know, and if the association yeah. is play is something that you that kids do or is a juvenile thing or, or it leads to like loss of productivity. Why would you play? Well, yeah. And, and now we're adults. The, yeah. We're yeah, supposed yeah. to be pr producing. So like if right? play happens after you produce, I see. Yeah. And so, so there's a lot of play shaming. And so that was the thing with me. Like I felt like this dissonance of like, I don't think I should be playing. Like I felt guilty. Like I literally felt guilty. Like when I first started doing the improv clip, I felt guilty leaving on time from work to do something outside of work. Saying that out loud right now oh. sounds silly, but it in sounds the moment, silly, but we've all, I, I mean, I can empathize. I'm sure so many others listening can empathize. That's so common. I feel like. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, um, it's all about changing the definition of, of play. And so there's a few things. Uh, there's a researcher. Her name is Jane McGonigal. She wrote this amazing book called Super Better, where she was exploring how play uh, and games can make us more resilient, um, you know, uh, help us adapt to change, all these other things. And she explores video games. And in her research, there was just as much data that supports that video games are disruptive and destructive to our um, sort of social skills and well-being and stuff like yeah. that as games that will help build us up. Um, and she said there is one thing that is different, like between the people that use it for uh, to power up versus the people that um, that don't. Okay. And that is your purpose or your intention. And so if you go in with the mindset of like, I can't deal right now. And you use play as an excuse, an escape, like to do something else. Well, then that is going to become your pattern. That's going to become how you deal. Oh, I'm stressed out. I can't, I can't, I can't deal with responsibilities right now. I'm going to procrastinate with play. Well, then no, you're not going to be productive. And it's just, it's just like any other sort of addictive behavior um, is not going to support you. However, if you go in and say, you know what, I need more energy. I am feeling depleted. I'm going to play for five minutes, 10 minutes, and it is going to help me sort of reset. And then I'm going to go right into the work. Those people that have that mindset use play for its higher purpose. So that's the first thing is thinking of like, all right, I need to change my mindset um, and then set up an environment where I can reap the benefits of play. Um, and then the other thing is a researcher, his name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. He talks about flow. 
and flow, when you're in flow, you uh, time goes by like this. You're being challenged just enough. Um, you know, you're getting immediate feedback um, and, you know, you, you're you enjoying it. Like, And play is very similar. And a lot of people, when you're in the state of flow, like you're in the flow at work, you're essentially yeah. playing. Um, and so if once you start to change like that sort of like what you believe play is and realize that play is something that is a necessity, well, then it's like, oh, we should be doing it. But it's we're just not set up to reap the benefits. That's my current belief. And so we had we got to change that. Yeah, we do. It's interesting what you said about like the intention, because I'm thinking of an old friend from, you know, childhood played video games a lot. Like a lot, a lot, a lot. And we, we would play at his house and stuff. But like, now that you mention that, I'm like, well, the intention there was definitely just like, and I think for him especially was just, I mean, this is, you know, what I do and maybe an escape. But I, you know, I didn't see, now that I think about it, there was no like North Star there of like, well, what, you know, why am I doing this? That's so interesting. Whereas, yeah, like you described, you could... Yeah, play video games and, and have more yeah. of an intention or like, what what am I... And what you just said about... Is it all about like... You mentioned like you might not even realize you're playing. Is it is it about basically the the chemicals that our brain... Like kind of the effect it's having on our brain and the chemicals it's producing, and, you know, like the dopamine and all that. Is it... Like maybe you, you're creating that and not realizing it and it turns out it's from play. You know, maybe not what you yeah. consider traditional play. Yeah, that's what I call purposeful play. Like in that you are using play to have a specific outcome. Um, and so, um, like, for example, you know, dopamine helps you focus. Um, if you do something and you get it right or you like you get this feedback, you get dopamine, which signals to your brain like, oh, I'm on the right track. That way, that's why, like, if you ever pick out your phone and you see a notification that you got an email and then you go and check it, you get a little hit of dopamine. Oh, uh, I hate that. Exactly. I mean, it happens, but I, and I'm aware of it, but I hate that. Mm -hmm. Like I can do that to myself. <laughs> exactly. And you can do that through play. And so like, that's why you just set it up in an environment that's going to be beneficial. Now, one quick thing that I want to mention, and this is how I help people, um, especially around video games and other things, see the benefits. And before I tell that, I'm going to tell like a quick story uh, about a, a research project that, uh, forgive me, I don't remember who did it, but they basically had nurses and they had one set of nurses where they basically told them that um, the amount of work that they were doing and they did this with uh, nurses, they did this with um, house uh, housekeepers, they did this with all kinds of people and they basically told them, hey, you know what, all the work that you're doing is a lot of aerobic exercise and it's burning X, Y, and Z. That's all that they did. They just alerted them to that. Those people ended up losing weight without doing anything Whoa. different. That's fascinating. Think about that. Yeah. The brain was like, that. like, oh wow, I didn't I didn't realize that. And then like once they started seeing that, then they started realizing like and then, you know, maybe they started getting motivated to do other things. But just that little tip off is sometimes just enough. And so when I, I love to ask people like, Oh, what game, you know, did you like to play as a child? Like whether it's video games or whatever. And they tell me, and I was like, what skill do you think you learned or, or started to master by playing that video game or that game? And then they start thinking it's like, Oh, I never really thought of it from that, from that point. And that's one of the things about play is if you could start to think of like, how is this benefiting? Um, they say like when you're playing a game, you could be playing against each other, like a video game against each other. Your heart rate and brain waves start to synchronize. And that synchronization um, creates oxytocin and, and serotonin, which is the trust and belonging hormones. And now you're bonding with each other. Whoa. Um, in Jane McGonagall's book, um, she talked about this. Uh, she had a case study about this family um, that the, the, the two kids, they ended up liking each other and getting married. And it was like, not your typical sort of, uh, marriage. And the families were very traditional and those types like didn't get married. I, I don't remember. I think it was like a religious thing. It was like, maybe one was Catholic, one was like sure, Jewish, something sure. like that. Um, and the parents, um, 
like sort of didn't like each other. But this was back around the time of Farmville. And they were all sort of like connected on Facebook. And there was like not really a feud, but they just didn't get along. But in Farmville, if you remember that game, um, you have crops and then you invite people to like like take care of your crops and or, or tend to things and then you get stuff. And so, you know, the game created an environment where you're like, I just need again, you're taking all of your current beliefs and setting it aside for the rules of the game. The rules of the game is, oh, get people to help you. You know, the people that you're connected with on your social um, platforms, get them to help you. You get added things. And so they were getting help in the game from the other parents. You know, they were helping each other just because it was part of the game. And unconsciously, they started liking each other more. Because in the game, that person did them a favor. Oh, they're an ally. They're, again, because they suspended all belief yeah. for the rules of the game, over time, those new beliefs of the game like started to overwrite the current beliefs. And then they started, without any other intervention, started to trust each other a bit more. I love that. I think there is so much to the bonding aspects. I mean, you look at like sports, right? That's a mm-hmm. form of playing. And I mean, how many of us is. were in sports at one point or another in our lives and developed great relationships from teammates and stuff yeah i can totally see that you you mentioned earlier that you were burnt out as the director at the marketing agency and that's where you went or when you went to the first improv class yes that kind of changed your life what what kind of led up to like that the burnout was it just traditional like i'm working too much or was there a lot going on in life or like you know what, what kind of brought you there to be honest uh it's hard to describe because it happened in such little increments that, you know, you know what they say, like the best way to, to kill a frog or cook a frog is to put it in lukewarm water and slowly turn up the heat. Yeah. And like, it's just like fine. Like, so I, at this, so it was a startup. And so I started getting, um, because I was good at my job, technically, like I knew how to do like my job very well. Um, and as we started to grow, I started to get promoted. So I started to get more and more responsibilities and it was like, Oh, you know what? Here's one more thing. All right. Here's one more thing. And so I would take them on. And before I knew it, I was like, what is going on? Uh, why? Like, you know, I would be looking forward to the weekend and I would, you know, go through the weekend, but like, it felt like it took the whole weekend to like catch up on sleep and then by monday i was like oh my gosh and i felt like one of those old phones that when you charge it it's the battery's dead by noon (laughs) that's a fantastic analogy i know exactly and and it just felt like and this is the thing where i like felt a shame i'm like i am doing the job that i've always wanted to do i have the things that i wanted like you know why why do i feel like this i just thought it was success Yeah, you're yeah. like, I've achieved success, and wait, why am I not feeling successful? Yeah, why don't I feel fulfilled? Like, I don't I don't get it. And and then I took that improv class, and it gave me that rest that I needed. And I didn't realize that, oh, I could take a break, and the world's not going to go. You know, I, I just thought I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. And, um, you know, that's when I was the type of person that was using hard work as a badge of honor. I was always like, yeah, I'm busy. Oh, yeah. You know what? Oh, you worked blah, blah, blah. I worked, you know, I worked 12 hours, you know, blah, blah, blah. And again, there's a lot of research now that shows that anything over eight hours without consistent breaks, um, your your productivity will go down because you're not going to be as accurate. And if you're not getting enough sleep, um, it's your brain functions as if you were drunk. Yes. I I say yes because like this is something I've thought about a lot. Like I've tried to become more aware of this, but um, like when you're actually being productive versus not like me, for example, like this podcast, for example, I will in my life, I'll put little windows of time like, all right, tonight you need to prepare, you know, do the research with Gary's episode. You're going to talk to him tomorrow and they got to edit this episode and that. And, you know, maybe it's been a long day or whatever. And I, I told myself I wasn't doing it at night and I'll sit there and I'll be working on it. And, I'm, you know, it'll take me twice as long to research, you know, what I want to research that it should. 
And I think to myself, well, wait a second. Is it more important to get this done at the time you gave yourself? Or is it maybe wait till tomorrow? Maybe you know you're fresh in the morning, you're more productive and do it then. But it's like this battle in myself. Like, no, you said you would finish it tonight. You're going to finish it tonight. But the other side of me is like, well, you're not getting anything done. You're literally sitting here reading the same word over and over and there's nothing positive happening here. So yeah, I I can relate. And it's, we've been conditioned to, you know, to do that. Like that, like it is all about output. You know, if you think about school and homework and stuff like that, it's like, um, I feel like work is broken. We are treating work just like, um, it was back when the rules that were created were created for assembly line workers. Did you know that? The eight, uh, the forty-hour work week, the eight-hour workday was invented by Henry Ford. Yeah, I, I remember reading something about that. Yeah, and that was cut down from six days a week, twelve hours a day. Oh, that part I don't remember. Wow. Uh, that so, if you've heard the term the Protestant work ethic, um, that's where it comes from. In that, uh, Henry Ford, for his assembly lines, were realizing that there was a lot of. Um, Accidents being happened just because people were overworked. They were working six hours uh, or six days a week, 12 hours a day. And the reason why, um, you know, they were doing that was that um, there was this belief that if you weren't working, you would get into trouble. Um, And so he proposed and people thought he was asinine by saying they will get the exact same pay. But they would work one day less and four hours uh, one yeah one day less and four hours less. So that's where the forty hour work week came from. And essentially, everyone got raises because they worked a little bit less and they got paid the same amount. So it was like you got a raise, and like it was a little bit self serving because he was realizing that because everyone was working so much, no one was buying cars because they didn't have time to use them. Yeah, <laughs> which is an important part of, of yeah. that business for sure. Exactly. And we are still, we are still like on that same model of like, oh, we, we need to work eight hours, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, blah, 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 where we have technology and we have things that could make things easier where we don't necessarily have to work as much. But yet when it's tied to our identity, tied to our self-worth, yeah, we're going to do that. And and a quick story. So I started, as I was exploring this, I started doing, I called it adult recess. Um, and it would be the, these little things on, it was on the evenings and, and we would play like some improv games and I'll throw in some other stuff. And, and um, you would just get first, other like friend, adult friends together. And- adult friends. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, since I was in the agency world, I like, I'm like, Oh, this is great for people in the agency world. They need it. And so, uh, a friend of mine, uh, she, it was, it was like maybe like an hour before. And she sent me a text. She's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. And I was like, Oh, what's up? What's going on? She's like, we got a big deadline. Uh, I'm just going to have to, you know, I'm gonna have to work late. And, and then I said, well, do you trust me? Like, yeah, I trust you. Um, I was like, this is what I invite you to do. I invite you to, Come to my thing, have fun, go get a good night's rest, and pick it up in the morning. And she's like, I don't know. And she's like, all right, you know what? I'll come to your thing, and, and maybe I'll go back to work afterwards. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, at minimum, do that, you know, because you need the break. It was like what you said. Like, yeah. if you're getting, you know, you're that overworked and you haven't been working, you probably haven't been eating, like, the best that you can or, you know, hydrating, stuff like that. You just sure. need the break. So she came, she came to the event. She had an amazing time. And, um, I didn't know what happened. Like, I just, you know, we said bye. I thought she was going to go back to work. She didn't. She went home. She got a good night's rest. And I got this text, uh, about, uh, 11 the next day. And it was like, she said, Gary, thank you so much. I had so much fun. Um, it was, you're right. It was exactly what I needed. And guess what? I got to work early and I got all the stuff done in probably a fraction of the time it would have took me if I would have stayed. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. But again, we don't we don't want to do this. And this is where we have a conflict. So when we're stressed, uh, we're mammals and 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 all mammals uh I forgot the term, but it basically means neotenous. We're neotenous creatures, which means that we retain our juvenile features throughout um our adulthood. 
And so we play, you know, that, you know, it's ingrained in us. We should play. Uh, but we don't always do that. Now, animals that are stressed will not play. Because when you're stressed, your uh, fight or flight or freeze mechanism takes over. And you're only looking out for what could hurt you. And play is a very, uh, is a thing that could get you killed. Uh, because when you're it's playing, kind of vulnerable. you're vulnerable. Yeah. yeah, you're vulnerable. Yeah. You're very present. You're not looking out for what could attack you. So your body is like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't, mm, we got threats, threats. You know, you're looking for threats. Yeah. And that is the, the challenge is the way that our brains are a little outdated. So the, the same parts of our brain that will light up as if there was a saber toothed tiger is going to light up when you think about, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get this done in time. I'm going to get yelled at by my boss. It's the same part of your brain. Wow. And you're reacting the exact same. And so you need these interventions sometimes <laughs> to, um, to snap you out of that. And like when I talk about, um, you know, embracing play, um, I say, well, you need an ally or I call it a playmate, but you need someone that has your back that can spot when you are not at your best and invite you to play to like sort of like snap you out of it. Yeah. I like that. I think that's such a big part of it is being aware of and that's the hardest part too. I mean, I like the ally idea because then you got someone to kind of watch your get your back or have your back, but like, yeah, being aware of, especially with the productive, like needing a break. Play is a great example of needing or a, a way to take a break and a great, more, I mean, arguably a productive way to take a break. But like being aware, like I, I think this happens all the time with people. But if you use like um, software engineering as an example, you talk to a software engineer and they're coding and they're in the zone and they're trying to solve complex problems. It's a couple hours, whatever. And then they're stuck and they're just stuck on something. And just simply getting away from the problem for a short period of time. To be honest, you probably don't even have to play. You probably go for a walk, but I think playing will probably accelerate this. You come back or maybe during that time, you just clear your head, you take a moment, fresh air, and then you come back, problem solved. I mean, it's the same example you gave and I gave of, you know, you're banging your head against the wall, banging your head against the wall. And it's like, you're not going to get anywhere, but like being aware of that is so hard. I, that's why I, I like this idea of the account or the ally because... I mean, like, I feel like I'm better at this, but, you know, no, nobody's perfect. Yeah. And so this is something you're absolutely right. Like the walk to me, the walk could be playfully like, you know, that could be see, seen as a, a uh, an act of play. And I, and I have this thing called the play rebellion in that, like, you use play as a rebellious act to get more done. That aside, um, you're right. If you are conditioned to keep doing it, you're not going to do it. So you need to design this ahead of time so that you can have a prompt. Uh, there's a researcher, his, his name is BJ Fogg. Um, he has what is called the uh, Fogg behavior model, which stands for behavior equals motivation, uh, ability, and prompt. So you can have a specific behavior if the motivation is high enough and there is the ability to do it and there's a prompt. Any one of those things gone, you do not have the behavior. So if you want the behavior of playing... You need to have the motivation to do it. You need to have the ability to do it. And you need a prompt or a trigger. And so this is how you can reverse engineer it. Oh. Is, you know what? I know that I'm not at my best when I'm blah, blah, blah. And what is the prompt that will force you to keep banging your head against the wall? Oh, I get this. All right, you know what? Let me let me design this. When I reach this, it's almost like an if then statement, if, like you're programming. Like if this is the condition, then I will do X. You know, like I will get up and take a walk or I would do this, that, and the other. But you have to like pre-design it. And this is the one thing that most people leave out. And this is why it takes more time to wire it in is that there's no celebration. Um, you know, when kids as you probably know, you know, being a father, when kids are learning to walk, they do anything that looks like walking. What do we do as an adult? Like we're like, oh, we're so oh excited. My <laughs> oh my God. You're just so amazing. Look at you. Look at you. You sort of took a step. Like, 
And and it like you know they're just so proud of themselves. And then as I do, it's like, oh, you took another step. Oh my god! Like we are celebrating everything. We do that for kids. We you know, but then we forget to do it for ourselves because we we don't realize the mechanics of behavior. Like once you learn this, then everything is easy. Er. It, it, the, <laughs> the application sometimes is challenging, but at least you have a fighting chance because most of the time people are just sort of like crossing their fingers, hoping this will work. Um, when it's all is just like looking at, all right, what are the prompts? What's my ability? And this is the thing. Sometimes the ability is too hard because you're trying to do too much. And in that case, you're going to default to what is normal for you. Like, so for example, if you want to, um, you know, take more breaks, well, guess what? You don't have a prompt. <laughs> There's nothing to trigger a break and you're not used to taking breaks or your thought of a break is like something that is too hard to do. It's like, well, then I have to get up. I have to go downstairs. I have to do this, that, and the other. That's just too much. And and you definitely don't have the motivation uh, because you're like thinking about work and you're like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. So you're not going to do it. Like that is a recipe for disaster. But if you, and BJ Fogg talks about this in his book, Tiny Habits, of what if you start by, you know, you want to take more breaks. What if you start by the moment that um, the timer goes off or you notice certain things, you just stand up. That's it. As simple as that. Just stand. And then you sit back down and then go back to work. Like, uh, you know, it is super tiny, but that becomes your base habit. Because you actually did something. Yeah. And you celebrate it. And then... You have a choice at that point. It's like, you know what? Do I do other thing? But if if you are conditioning yourself that when this happens, at least I will stand up, you give yourself a fighting chance. And that becomes your base habit that you condition yourself. You're more likely to like, because you broke your sort of plane of consciousness, you're more likely to do something else. But you have to make it super easy to do. Super, super easy to do. One of the things I do, I have right here, I have a, a thing of Legos. Oh yeah, Just, look at that. Um, and I have a timer <laughs> and when I need, when I, when I'm in this like sort of deep work where I know I'm going to, like, I'm trying to be creative and, and it takes a lot of uh, mental effort timer goes off. I just then like for two minutes, I just tinker with the Legos for me. This is a recipe for Gary because I personally like Legos. Uh, I'm not trying to build anything in particular. I just like the sort of kinesthetic, like putting things together. Yeah, I'm the same way. I love doing that with Legos. Like you said, you, I'll do that while I'll be having like a conversation. Like my mm-hmm. son and I'll be talking and I'll just be messing around with Legos. Just like I'm, I'm, I'm building a house or something, but not even aware of it. Like it's just that I know exactly what you mean. I love that idea of the timer too. Like it goes off and just, all right, I'm just going to play with Legos for a couple minutes. We have to create an environment where play is possible. Um, and a mentor of mine, her name is Gwen Gorton. She's freaking amazing. She is. She worked on Sesame Street. Like, um, she was a puppeteer uh, uh, on Sesame Street uh, in the eighties, and she worked for IBM and all these big companies. As like, uh, she helped with innovation. And uh, she, we met when I was exploring like what are the different areas of play, and it was one of those things like, you know, like when you see like uh like you first learn about a Tesla, and then you see them everywhere. Yeah. That's yeah. what it was for me. I was like, oh, play. And then everyone's like, oh, have you met this person? Have you met this person? Have you met this person? And so someone introduced me to Gwen Gordon and they're like, you need to meet Gwen. And so I was fortunate enough to be mentored by her. She had like a, a play group. And in this play group, she was talking about her seven paths to play. And she was saying, um, especially as adults, we need to design environments where we can play. And so uh, one of her seven paths to play is... Um, what is it? Uh, play by design. So you need to design an environment where you can play um, or else you're not going to play. Yeah. That's such a key part of it. I mean, I mean, it's so funny because you think about this and it sounds so <laughs> obvious almost, right? Like it is, right? If you don't, because I mean, you can think about this in your earlier examples of games and the rules and how we suspend disbelief and we succumb to the rules I mean, if you didn't provide the environment, uh, you know, baseball, if you don't have the diamond set up or some sort of bases or some sort of 
markers to use as mm-hmm. bases, then you can never do it. Like you weren't setting yourself up to even begin. I love that. And it just seems so, I'm like smiling so here. Yeah, so simple. Yeah. It's so simple, but you have to design it because the environment will always win. If you have an environment that's not conducive to play, you won't play. It's just the fact of the matter is, and I'll, I'll give it like another context. Um, like me and my wife, we were trying to eat healthier and um, we thought we were going to do it by willpower alone. Like, you know what? We're not going to, we're not going to, like we put all these rules and, and, and I feel like that's where we all start. Yeah, yeah. We like, all start with that. Like, yeah. And then we fell off the wagon and we didn't, we didn't like sort of really look under the hood and find out what are the triggers. And one of my triggers is if I get like hungry or not hungry, like tired, I tend to snack on things and I want to eat healthier, but go back to the fog behavior model, motivation. Um, uh, what is it? Motivation, ability and prompt. The prompt is like, I'm hungry. Uh, my ability to eat healthy at that moment was not that good <laughs> because I just like, I haven't practiced it enough. And so I had high motivation, but it was really hard. Therefore, my older uh, habit of eating junk food is right there. Like the chips are right there. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You're going to eat the chips. Um, and so you have to de- design an environment where you can win. And and so that's like one of the things like if you want to like really reap the benefits of play, how can you design um, a playful environment where you want to play. Look, I have Legos within an arm's reach. Yeah. So if I need to play, if I don't get a chance to like take a break, I have something that is playful for me in an arm's reach. I have uh, Aaron's thinking putty, like like all these things. Like I have, like I can just sort of reach and I can do. So I have like no excuse. Um, like I like these like playing cards and stuff. Um, but you know, this is designed for me. Um, you know, she was the one who introduced me to this whole thing, um, of the compass of joy. And that's her first path to play is play by delight. Like what are the things that are going to delight you? Um, and how can you bring more of that into your existence? That's where I tell everyone start with that. How do we bring more of that? Like, how do you find, you know, you, at the very beginning of our conversation, you were talking about some research that, suggested like think about some instances of play from when you were really young younger than 13 and when you said that i was starting to think as i was listening to you speak i'm trying to think like what examples do i have and the one that sticks out this i don't know why and maybe you have some insight here but i always think about this there was this friend i had i don't know what age it must have been somewhere if between fourth and eighth grade, I don't know, somewhere in what I call grammar school. And we, we he, I don't remember if he, him and his mom lived with his grandparents maybe, but we would always play there, single family home, suburbs. We would play in their unfinished basement, him and I. And there was like this, I guess almost a crawl space between the, under the staircase, a little bit, you know, probably about four or five feet above ground level against, you know, in the back. And we would play, we call the base. I remember this. And there was, all sorts of stuff in there and we imagined and we created, I don't know what we fought people or, but like that is so vivid. And I think about that. So when you, when you suggested that question, that's what came to mind, but then I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> Which is cool. Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. And then I, then I asked, I said, now we want to break that down. Like, what about that did you enjoy? Like, you know, start to like, was it the, the fact that you created like this imagination? Base? Yeah, yeah the, so it's the imagination. Creation. Yeah. Like, yeah, and you're creating something, you know, you're doing it with someone else or like whatever, like you start to experiment. Like what about that? And then you create, then you experiment it with it. It's like, all right, maybe it was the imagination. All right, how can I do something similar but different? Like, you know, it might not be feasible for you as an adult to just start climbing <laughs> around in a <laughs> Maybe, Maybe it is, maybe not. I don't know. But like what else could you do that has that essence that you know you can do in a short little bit like this is something that i invite you to do um so i do some creativity classes and and one of the activities is design your dream um was it you design your dream play uh playhouse or treehouse so growing up like we lived in a city i always wanted a treehouse uh, and and uh i didn't get that ability like it just wasn't feasible and but i always loved to sketch them it's like, oh, it's going to have this, going to have this. And then I forgot about it. Um, and so just doing that is a fun activity. Now, you may or may not be met with some resistance. So 
um, what, when I do this, when I facilitate this, um, you know, I give people about like 10, 15 minutes, all right, draw it out, start sketching it out, design it. Like what, what does it have? Like it can have anything like you have unlimited budget. You like, you know, it can, you know, it can go past this reality. What? It doesn't even matter. Like just go, go bonkers with it. And some people just the act of just doing that is so amazing. Uh, they're like, wow, that was so much fun just to in- engage their imagination and just daydream for a bit. Um, some people are met with resistance and this is, um, because there's a challenge with another uh, play personality, the artist, and they don't believe that they can draw. So they they don't allow themselves to have a good time because they like, well, I can't sketch this out. In my head, it looks perfect. And when I put it down on paper, it looks bananas. And so, yeah, like, yeah, and like that is... They've stopped themselves before they've even begun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's like one of the part of the debrief of like, all right, cool. Like, all right, if you're doing this there, where else are you like sort of stopping your own creativity? Yada, yada, yada. But just the act of daydreaming and scoping things out, like, and then I'm like, all right, cool. We're done with it. Like, you, you don't have to do anything with it. Like, I'm not saying now you're going to go to, to <laughs> Lowe's or, or whatever and start like, you know, you know, you're not going to go to like an architect and start doing this. Like, no, but you're just engaging a part of you that's probably been dormant for a long time. Uh, so that might be, you know, fun. Um, and one of the things that I didn't realize that was a lot of fun for me is, um, so my son, uh, I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Um, I was like you, I did a lot of similar things like me and my friends, like we, um, used to make these forts and bushes. So there was like these like low, like sort of shrubs and stuff like that. Um, that had like, like these intricate like sort of like branches on on the inside so like we would make them our forts um and that was just like what we did it was all outside outside and like as an adult i'm thinking like i'm like oh my god how dangerous that could be like uh, nonetheless whatever <laughs> <Hindsight. laughs> uh, right whatever we didn't get hurt we we had fun um but my son he loves doing stuff like that and like he like invites me like dada come into my fort come into like like and it's just all made up and stuff like that and, like and it's so much fun like so it was like I allowed him to lead me into play and um, I allowed myself to like not be good at it or, or like not know what's going on and, and, and take all of that like adult needing to like know exactly what we're doing and be good at it. I took all that aside for like a good bit and it was fun. It was like, it was really cool to do. That's such great advice too. Like you were just talking about the person drawing the tree house, you know, who resistance from themselves of I can't draw I think we do that so much, especially with play, just in general. Like, and I don't think it's even intentional or conscious, maybe. But like, we, like, I think the the advice you have there is great. Of like, just suspend everything. Like, there are no. I think about this with like when you're developing new ideas, you know, products or ideas, and you at the very beginning you want to just throw out all the possible restrictions, throw out any possible obstacles, get rid of that all, create a safe space and just dream. What is the ultimate dream here? We'll figure out the logistics later. I feel like that's what we got to do with play is like, like sit down and or stand up, whatever, but don't like throw out all these things, you know, or all these possible, well, we can't do this or this is, yeah, I love that. Like just throw it all out and just like yeah. be free. Bring back your inner child. Um, which is like, there was this quote that was, adults are just kids who atrophied. Oh, jeez. I mean, yeah. That's worded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. Just and that's just how it is. Like, we get older. Yeah. And for whatever reason, what like, um, do you remember, have you seen the Peter Pan with Robin Williams? Is that the, with Hook? Hook. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, yes. Was a good there one. is this scene that uh, even thinking about it, like sort of gets me choked up is where like he's back with the Lost Boys. And then there's the little kid, little black kid. And like he like looks at him and he's like, oh, there you are, Peter. And it's almost like he looks into his soul and he sees the inner child of Peter. And I was like, yeah, we are like Robin Williams is Peter Pan. We forgot what it was like to imagine. Like we forgot all of that. Yeah. The imagine part. Yes. That's what I see most in my kids is, and I'm reminded, I see the imagination they have. I see it developing. I see it being exercised. And I think I was like that. I had that imagination. I mean, I still do. It's in a different way. It's evolved. But one could argue maybe it's not exercised as much as it was. 
That's why. Well, yeah. we forgot. Yeah, there's a a good friend of mine. He's a play advocate. His name is Jeff Harry. He says there is a time, and we don't really know when that is, but there's a time when you go to the playground and it's your last time. Like after you leave that, you like you never come back. Oh man, you're right. Because we just grow up, you know. And so yeah. I think that's just one of the things is is just a muscle, and when we stop using it for whatever reason, it just atrophies. Um, but the cool thing is you can work that muscle in little increments and it will bring you a lot of joy and it has a lot of benefits, you know, in other areas. Uh, yeah. so yeah, cause imagination is just innovation. <laughs> you know, like you're just daydreaming stuff. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, that if you think about like anything that we have in this modern day and age, it was so someone imagined it at some point. It's true. I like that muscle comparison because then it makes you realize it's if you feel like it's gone, it's not gone. It can be regrown. It can be shaped. It can be toned. It can be regularly exercised and it can be a part of who you are. And you have to like first get out of your own way and believe that it's possible uh, because NASA did a study. Uh, they followed uh, kids from kindergarten through um, high school. And at age five of that cohort, 90% of them had genius levels of creativity. By 18, it was only three, 3%. What changed in that time? I know. So it started to decrease around 13. So puberty. So that was around the age where you get your uh, your peers and some of them have innate abilities um, and you don't. And you start to judge You're like, oh, that person can draw. This is not drawing. I guess I can't draw. And you just start to just like... Start you know, and then it becomes yeah, yeah, limiting yourself and self fulfilling prophecy. I've done that. I, I remember there was this there was this kid. His name is Mark Lomahan. It's funny, like with certain situations, you remember their full name. Like I'm like yeah. I haven't thought about Mark in like <laughs> decades, and like but I know his full name, Mark Lomahan. Dude was like an amazing artist. Like his ability to to draw was like amazing. And this was like in sixth grade, uh, and he used to draw like these amazing things and i was like wow he is good and i would like see my <laughs> drawings and it's like <laughs> and then i'm like i'm comparing i'm like well he he can draw i can't draw and it just became the thing and you became a person who doesn't draw or can't draw uh and like i said earlier with identity you will fulfill the identity that you think you are and the interesting thing with a lot of people lop creativity and artisticness in the same thing it's like synonyms but they're different creativity is just the ability to solve problems in a new and novel way that's it uh artistic uh ability is subjective <laughs> uh but nonetheless like over the time you just don't think that you can do it you're not and and if you don't think you can do it you're not going to want to work that muscle so you just let it sort of just die off and then you're being called to be creative and and it reminds you of that time when you were in in middle school and you drew something and people laughed at it so like you're like no I don't want to do that. I like that that idea of uh you got to I mean it's what you were talking about you got to set yourself up for success you got to create the environment because if you feel like you can't do it then it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean you're going to feel like oh I'm a failure in this and I can't do this and I'm never going to be able to exercise this muscle then. Great. Yeah. And then you won't do it. But yeah. if you just say, you know what, I'm just going to just see what happens. And um, I like to say, come from a place of non-judgment awareness. It's neither good nor bad. It is what it is. And just draw. Um, I was fortunate enough to work with an amazing graphic facilitator. Uh, her name is uh, Heather uh, Willens. And she, uh, we did a, we co-facilitated uh, uh, a virtual workshop on, uh, it, we called it playing with fear. And so, in this workshop, we were doodling and we were talking about fear and we were drawing our fears and stuff like this. And, and it was a great me playing with my own fear because I had this like sort of belief that I couldn't draw. And so I was scared going into this. I was doing the improv side of it. She was doing the drawing side. And so like we would, we would, you know, she would facilitate us on drawing some fears and then I would, we would act out like, what is that like? And stuff like that. And, um, as, uh, the co-facilitator, you know, I'm, drawing along just like everyone else and and it was really cool a safe space of like look what i drew and she's like it's completely fine and matter of fact another friend of mine is a doodler and um i had her i did a uh, a live um chat with her and and she took us through the art of doodling as a uh, as a stress reliever and I'll, I'll send you the link so you can share it if if anyone's interested but that is again you'd have to just suspend belief in your ability and just just do it for the sake of doing it 
Suspend belief. I think that's the yeah big takeaway for me. Gary, thank you so much for, yeah. for taking the time. I'm telling you, when this COVID thing is all over, whenever I'm I'm don't know what improv class, but I'm signing up. And after I take that first one, I'm gonna message you and give you my please. My, you know, see how I feel. But I please. I'm, it's funny. You know what's really funny is that like after I wrote that down, I got so excited. And I thought, like, I don't yes. know when this is going to happen because it could be a couple months, you know, or I don't know how long, you know, until everything opens back up again. But I thought, I cannot wait. I am so excited. I flashed back to the high school, you know, how many years ago was that? I thought, yeah. and I, I just naturally love, I love, like, I'm trying to think how to put it into words, that concept of just bouncing off each other and being quick and witty and not even, not, not funny, but like just the ability to respond, you know, like keep it going. Like, I have no idea what you're going to say next, but, ah. Uh, Anyway, long way of saying thank you. You've inspired me, and I know you've inspired others, so thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Tim. It's been, yeah, it's been a delight. Time, again, we were playing, we were playing together. Time went by quick. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.